Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And I'm Melissa. And today we are going to have a very good time. I'm so excited about this, talking about how to educate people in development, especially younger people or people that are new to development, because there's a lot of drinking from the fire hose uh, and it's tough to wrap your head around it. And so we want to talk about ways that we as senior developers and educators can help people get into development and programming and how you do that. Uh, so we're excited to have Melissa Amaya here. She is from the Data and Dev podcast. Um, there is a link in the chat if you want to go check out that website and listen to some of their podcasts. They're really good. Uh, she and her co-hosts do a good job talking about fun, fun, techie geek stuff, which I love. So um, we're excited to talk that, about that. But before we get into the meat of the show, we can review. Creston, how was your week? Pretty good. I mean, I'm super, super busy because I did take a little bit of time off, not necessarily around the holidays, but in uh, January, I actually took some time off. So I've been spinning my wheels trying to catch up. But one thing I did do this week that I dived into a very deep rabbit hole is check out ChatGPT. Oh, boy. So I know this is all over the Internet, but... And I knew AI has been coming, has been coming. And now I'm like, holy crackerjack. I think it's here or on the brink. So basically, I've started doing a deep dive into it, looking at all these different tools and saying, how can I rethink things? Not from a development perspective, but part of my business, it's important to produce content from a content production perspective. How can I leverage this to do that more efficiently? Not to have it like write everything, but is there a way to get ideas, outlines, you know, knowledge somehow to accelerate the process? So I've gone down the rabbit hole this week doing that. So that's what I've been doing. What about you? Um, well, I tried to go to chat GPT this morning and they told me that their servers were full. So that must have been your fault. Um, I'd have to check back later. It must have been you. Um, but yeah, I've I actually had a lot of fun this week continuing on with the coding with Chris doing all this uh, game programming in Ruby. It turns out that it's a very possible thing now um, today um, using Dragon Ruby. And what I got to work on this week with some of the some of the folks on the Dra Dragon Ruby Discord who are way smarter than me was working on um, an implementation of Perlin noise for Ruby, and that is a very mathy thing um but it it does really cool stuff uh generating gradient noise and things instead of like i don't want to get too deep into it but the the fuzzy black and white dots on your tv old tv screen when you didn't have a channel that's white noise gradient noise actually kind of puts that together and turns it into like islands and and stuff and it's used for a lot of map generation and and um custom generation of content so it was really fun to kind of work on that and be able to put out a um, an implementation of Perlin Noise to the community um, because there wasn't a good one in Ruby that was fast um, because mathy things in Ruby, deep loops, double loops are n not the best a lot of times uh, because of the interpreted language nature of it. It's not compiled and typed, so... Um, it was kind of a fun challenge to go through and figure out how to make that 
an implementable thing in Ruby. Um, so that was that was my fun for the week. Uh, Melissa, what about you? Yeah, I've had a good week. I had a short week, so Monday off for Martin Luther King Day, which always throws my orientation off a little bit. I'm like, it's Thursday, but it doesn't feel like Thursday. Uh, yeah. But at my um, dev job, pretty pretty chill these last few weeks. Um, lots of kind of code cleanup and dealing with some tech debt. Um, and then I also teach, so I'm starting to put together a curriculum, actually. This applies to our topic today. I'll be teaching a Python course this coming summer. So I've got sitting on my plate putting together a syllabus for that class. Um, slow in coming, but it'll come. So cool. So. All right. So um yeah, sorry if I'm getting a lot of notification sounds on here, you guys. My work is my work slack is going bananas right now because we just did a release for a client and they're talking about things. Nothing to do with me specifically, but they're they're just over there pinging away. Um, but you you guys know how Slack can get. Uh, anyway, we are we are very thrilled to have you here, Melissa. Thank you very much for coming and joining us today. Um, I was really excited when you accepted my request to come on here and be a guest and talk about the education stuff. So let's talk about education. Um, so one thing is what I found out is all three of us homeschool our kids. And so we have to be thinking about how to educate people quite often, um, especially younger people or people who are new to an area of, of learning. Um, so one of the things I'm wondering is what was, what was one of your big learnings as far as teaching tech to younger people? Um, what was one of the things that you figured out was really good to do? in that space. Yeah, I I think whether we're talking tech or any other topic, different people learn differently. Um, that's something I've been aware of, but I'm becoming even more aware of it um, as I teach. Uh, I teach a few math courses outside of my own kids, uh, like online, but regular classroom. And so being exposed to a plethora of children it's just confirming that everybody learns differently. And, but at the same time, we don't always teach to people's learning styles. And I don't necessarily mean the, I think there's three, I'm gonna mess up these names, but your visual, your auditory, or your kinesthetic, I think is the other one, mm -hmm. something with a K. Yeah. Um, I think we're all, all of those, really. I don't think anybody solely learns visually or audi audibly. Uh, but it's more like our brains are different. Our brains think differently and the way Chris, you need something explained to you to make it go, ah, I get it, is probably Creston different than you and different than me. So especially with things as complicated as some of the computer science-y topics, like how can we make sure we're explaining things in a way a kid can get? And at the same time, making it kind of a safe space for them to be like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So that they don't have to pretend that they're following. And then the cumulative effect of not understanding builds up to the point where they're like totally lost. Right. And and that's on that point. I, I had the very good fortune of kind of, of having a, an experiment in that, in that my oldest two are twins and they are very different in their learning capabilities, even though they're so similar in everything else. 
how they learn stuff was very different. And, and that was really eye-opening to me. And that's kind of where I, I first learned about, you know, the, the big differences in how people learn. They don't all learn the same way as I do. And seeing two people who are that similar have very different learning styles was, was well, neat, but also very eye-opening. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's good. Um, I think the community does a good job, too, of having things like podcasts and curated videos and live videos and different ways of learning and explaining topics. Um, I think that's a really good thing. Um, so what in the, in the um, tech space, let's say, because uh, you were telling me that you are a career changer. So you're a bit closer to us in the initial drinking from the fire hose dev world. Uh, what was one of the hardest things that you had to try to tackle when you were starting to learn dev? Hmm. Honestly, it had less to do with the technical aspects and more to do with me and and my persistence. Um, so I, I I entered tech kind of through a few different means consecutively. I did a coding boot camp. Uh, I've also done a master's degree, uh, master's program in computer science. And I was doing an online school called Launch School, which is phenomenal. Um, and Launch School's their setup is very rigorous. Uh, most of the learning is reading, very thorough, but you have to read it. And they they have an incredible emphasis on mastering the fundamentals. And in going through their program, I learned how lazy I could be. Not in the programmers are lazy mentality, mm -hmm. so we automate everything, but in the, man, this is like mentally hard work that I have right. to put in to to stay with it so that if I have to read it three times to get it, I'm just going to have to do that. So my biggest hurdle wasn't so much a particular technical concept. It was my process of learning and then that learning how to learn um, kind of angle. I think that phrase is, is thrown around quite a bit these days. There's a science behind it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was more, more about me and my, I don't know, personality de deficit or whatever than, than any technical concept specifically. So right. I find it really interesting that you've done a boot camp, you did a master's and you did lunch school. Out of yeah. curiosity, which helped you more or which do you think was getting you ready to be a developer better? That's a great question, and I'm going to answer your question, but not actually answer your question, because <laughs> I think for me, all, there are some people that hate on boot camps big time. There are some people that love boot camps. Um, I am very thankful for my boot camp experience, but it left me with so many holes in my understanding, and it was a lot... I could do a lot of, I could do things, but I had no idea what I was doing or what good code looked like. And I think, again, that's more about me than the program per se, because I think I probably had classmates who had a different kind of conclusion at the end where they, they, they felt differently. Super thankful I did it. I'm so glad I did it. I think I needed that. To me, it was like a baby step. 
Um, and I, I need cyclical learning. So that's one reason I've got these three different things going on. The master's program I did gave me the, oh, that's exactly what's going on understanding, kind of the under the hood. And that's part of that is still is my, some people are fine with not knowing how it works. They just want to make it work. I'm like, yeah, but why? But why? How? What's going on? And that computer science degree gave me those answers and gave me that solid footing in things like data structures and algorithms and even low-level operating systems and what exactly is going on with the physical memory. Some people don't care and they're amazing developers. I want to know. And I, I love that. And then the launch school gave me the discipline of study. I don't think I would have done as well in my master's program had I not had the influence from launch school on how to be disciplined. And uh, at the same time, as far as their technical instruction goes, super detailed. I felt like after their uh, free, so they, they offer kind of their first course free before they ask you to pay. Like try it out, because if it's not for you, that's fine test it out before you commit to anything, whether it's us or elsewhere. I felt like after that free course, I had a better deep understanding of what was going on with Ruby than I did after my boot camp. Just because of the, the degree of specificity that launch school required. I had to articulate what was going on verbally or in writing. And I didn't have to do that at the boot camp. I just had to make the thing work. But here I had to focus on understanding enough to then articulate it so does that not answer your question preston <laughs> no no it's i think it gives a good perspective yeah and and part of that my ulterior motive i i'm really excited to be on this call with you is that you know i have a son who's 18 will be graduating this may and he wants to go the only thing he doesn't procrastinate with is software engineering or computer programming all the other things. So basically, that's probably what he should do. Yeah, it's a good indication. Yeah. I um, highly, highly recommend. Launch School is fantastic. I think anybody who's interested in software should at least check it out. It may not be your jam. It may not fit what you want, um, but super, super solid. Cool. So I'm wondering, as because you do a podcast, so you're talking to lots of people in the community. And I mean, you're you're on Twitter, and so you're seeing a lot of things going on. So I'm wondering if you have some takes on things that the community does well to promote education, and maybe if you have some things that you'd like to see changed or added or removed. Um, there. That's a great question. Ooh, yeah. Um, I think even within the tech community, there's like community niches, right? So there's the Ruby community, there's the Scala community, there's different sub-communities. I'm less familiar with, I just don't have time to be in every community that I would love to be in. So I've, I've heard different things about the Scala community, not super encouraging things, but I don't know personally. Ruby, I hear is just great. Um, but like on the whole, um, I think there, I, the good things I see are a general encouragement of junior devs, at least in the Twitter sphere that I, I'm aware of, um, where new people to the industry are encouraged and supported and applauded when things go well, when they share successes, whether it's I got that interview or I finally got that job or whatever it is. 
Um, I have seen and encountered individual folks within the Twitter sphere be very generous with their time. One of the folks we interviewed this past season came from Twitter. I'd never met him in person. Uh, about two or so years ago, I love sharing this story because I just I think it's just a great comment commentary on on him him personally. Um, two or so years ago, somebody posted like, "Why aren't there any senior devs out there willing to mentor junior devs?" And this fella Matt responded basically saying, "Hello, senior dev, happy to help you. What do you need?" And I responded. I didn't ask the initial question. I'm like, "Oh, sweet." hey, I want to learn Scala, and I know you're a Scala guy. Like, what can we do? So he went through, I think it was like a six or an eight-week, basically weekly course with a bunch of my classmates from uh, my master's degree. There were some other people that were in there too that I didn't know. Um, he gave an hour or so of his time every week for six or eight weeks to walk through Scala with a whole bunch of people, most of whom he didn't know. Like, I wow. see that general, yeah, right? So much generosity. Now, not everybody can do that, but there are people that are willing to do that. So I think all of those are super great things that I see. Uh, as far as what could be better, there is, I think, uh, what I see is a general tendency towards, did you read the docs? <laughs> you know, like you have a question and the first response is, did you read the docs? And sometimes, yeah, you just have to go read the docs, but often it's like, yeah, but I, they're just as confusing to me as the code. And whether it's a deficit of the docs or the people in the community, I don't know, but some things are just super confusing. The way they're explained in the documentation is still super confusing. So much so that like sometimes senior devs are like, I don't know what's going on, but the senior dev goes, but I'll figure it out because they have that history of just knowing the confidence ne isn't necessarily in my skills are great the confidence is in i know how to problem solve and i know how to kind of track down what i want and i'll get there whereas a junior person is like i've hit a roadblock this is super scary i don't know what i'm doing and then you're telling me to go back to the thing that smacked me in the face to begin with mm -hmm. um so I, I think that's an area that can be improved how it's improved i don't know um, communication is hard <laughs> This is true. Um, I, I, and I think you you kind of touched on a thing there that that I'm seeing a little bit lacking. And it's not it's not because the community is lacking, but it's because um, junior devs, a lot of the ones I've talked to have a real issue with not being confident in their abilities. Um, and they they have a hard time overcoming that. And that seems to be a lot of the people that I've interacted with, the, the junior devs that are coming up, that seems to be the biggest blocker for them. Um, and once you get them to just kind of step out there and let's, hey, let's try it, they start just blossoming right away. Um, so that's one of the reasons that I like, you know, the, all the podcasts and the the people that do step up there and put themselves out in front of the audience and say, look, we're human too. I've been doing this for 25 years. I screw up on a daily basis. It's okay. You know, it's nobody, m most developer jobs, nobody's going to die if you screw something up. Right. So it's, most, it's all right. There are some. Yeah. <laughs> there's I a few, but those jobs. <laughs> I yeah. Don't want those jobs. Yeah. Um, 
So but, out, of, out of curiosity, what is the reason they don't step out there? What is the reason for the hesitancy? Is it from the perspective of, I don't want to break something, or is it, I'll be, I'll write some code and it'll look stupid, or it's going to be run poorly. What are the barrier blockades that are preventing them from wanting to step out or whatever? Well, uh, Melissa, I'm going to want to ask you this and see if you had this kind of issue because you're closer to the initial dev thing. But what I, what I will say to that is that um, I think it's kind of an intimidation thing where they see senior developers out there doing podcasts and and you know screencasts and stuff like that and think gosh i i'm never going to get that good so i you know i that's that's like an unreachable state for me and i think it's more of a kind of an intimidation thing especially when you see people talking real big big brain mathy things in twitter and you're like i don't even understand what they're saying what the you know um so I th I think that has a lot to do it with it is just the uh, intimidation factor I think, um, but but I don't know that's that's from my perspective of a senior developer, um, talking to people who are coming up. Um, what's your perspective? Yeah, I think I see a lot of that as well, and I think under that intimidation that can look different for different people. So it could be. I'm intimidated because if I make an error, I open myself up to the wonderful world of the internet that might not be so encouraging, right? I mean, right. people can be really harsh. So then do I caveat everything with, I've been programming for three months, please be nice. This is what I think. Like, it almost feels like you have to do that to just kind of hedge your bets a little bit. Whereas a senior dev is like, been there, done that, messed up a thousand times, dropped the prod database, there's nothing you can say to me that's going to hurt my feelings, whatever. Like that perspective and and confidence that just comes from time is in the senior generally and not in the in the junior. I think it's 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 scary to in any realm. It's scary to put yourself out there in a way that invites feedback because that one negative comment amidst a hundred encouraging comments is going to stick with you longer yep. just because of our way our brains work. And it's really hard to get that out of your head once it's there. So am I better off not even trying because that one discouragement can set me back, you know, mentally three months. I, I, I think it's what you're saying, Chris, but like there's yeah. so many things that go on in our head in that ticker of streaming thoughts that we all have and, yeah, yeah you know, I think there there may be something to that intimidation because, I mean, I've been there from a different perspective. So my bachelor's is actually in biology, and I actually went straight into cell and molecular biology in a PhD program. And I remember I signed up and I went for, I think it was after I was accepted, but I just came for a visit and they brought me into a talk that was taking place. So one of the uh, graduate students or post, maybe they may have been a postdoc, was presenting findings on research that he had done on protein folding. And so I was here, come in and listen to this. It was 
could have been in a different language and I would have gotten the same amount of information out, <laughs> which was a big fat zero. zero. I had no idea what this person was talking about. And presumably <laughs> I had have, you know, and I had a bachelor's in biology and still it was just the comprehension was not there. But yet I went to the program and the super dense papers you had to read to start, it was my mind was exploding. But, you know, after a month, after three months, after six months, I could like actually take these things and read it and I could understand it. And I could go to talks and it just finally built up over the time. So I was highly intimidated by being present in that talk and thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? So I think there's definitely something to that. If if someone's coming from a technological background and is stepping into something where something equivalent. Um, all right. Take a second to welcome the chat. Hey, Rowan, glad you finally got to us live, man. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Um, I, yeah. And I think one of the, one of the reasons that this intimidation thing is so prevalent for the development community is that, the development ecosphere is so huge. There is so much you have to learn, especially when you're just getting into it. It's just, it's it's a confusing maze of things that you have to start getting into. Um, and, you know, that's, even for me, it's still intimidating sometimes when I have to go learn something new and then I find out there's 10 other things attached to it that I also need to learn. And I'm like, oh my God, do I even want to get into this? <laughs> do I Maybe I just want a different job. I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's so even even for senior programmers, it can be intimidating sometimes. Um, I don't think we have the frequency of that intimidated feeling because we've already been through a lot of this ecosystem and, and at least have some kind of clue of how things laid out. But um, I think that's that's probably a big part of it, too, is it's just so broad. Um, so. We, we were talking about, um, well, we wanted to talk about, and what I really wanted to get to was kind of your thoughts on, okay, if I'm going to mentor a junior dev or teach a junior dev um, or teach classes about development, what, what kind of things, what, what kind of tips and tricks would you have for somebody who wants to start mentoring? Yeah, so when you say mentoring, are you thinking on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Because the dynamic depends on, on the setup, I guess. Yeah, um, so I would, I mean, I kind of want to know both. A one-on-one, -on -one, which is very different from like a class type setting or a uh, spreading knowledge through, well, I don't even know what a good, like, because curated uh, videos or while while they're spreading knowledge, it's not like an education type relationship, right? right? It's it's not the same thing. So I'm talking about I'm ta I'm actually talking to people, whether that's one person or multiple people. It's a live interaction. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I'll start with. So I've been mentoring uh, a high school senior who is interested in computer science and has been he through this separate platform that I'm mentoring him. And he already came with a uh, mostly front-end project that he was working on. So that mentorship experience has been, where are you at? What's confusing? How can I unstuck you? Mm -hmm. um, very similar to, I think, 
a good, healthy senior junior relationship within a company, right? Where he's making strides. If he gets stuck, I'm totally here. If there's some random concept you want to talk about, totally here. And it's more driven on his side than mine. Um, but that is an individual, this, this scenario is an individual who is, I hate the phrase, but I'm going to use it because it's what comes to mind, self-motivated, which I think has, I don't love using that term, but that, like he already can't, he was working on something. He was, he had a somewhat base knowledge already. Um, it wasn't starting from, this is a variable, this is a for loop. He figured some of that out. Um, if you're dealing with somebody who is, uh, I've never touched a computer language. I want to learn from day one, where do I start? My perspective, um, and so much of this really is like, I think so much of education, this goes back to kind of where we started with this conversation. Different people learn differently. So everything I say is so situational and very very much depends on who's on the other side. So it, what I say may not work for somebody else, or I might not be the best mentor for a certain person because our styles don't quite match. So caveats all over the place. Um, I probably would start with, start working through this book. We'll figure out what language to work on. When you get stuck, like we'll meet every week or whatever, and let's talk about where you're at. Show me your progress so that I'm seeing effort on their side. I will match your effort, effort for effort, but I am not gonna exceed your level of effort because it has to be, the desire to learn has to be there for it to make any difference. Otherwise I'm kind of pulling along. So show me some effort. I am very happy to go super basic and repeat myself 15 times if that's what is needed, if the effort's there. Um, so that's on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, when you get into groups, it's a little bit different because the group dynamic is very different from a one-on-one. -on -one. And then you have to think about, well, you know, I've got 15 people here. Five of them learn this way. Three of them like, learn this way. You know, so I have to present it general enough that everybody can catch it. Um, rather than tailoring to a particular style of learning. Um, right. And that, that could easily get me off on a, I homeschool for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of them. Yep. I, I teach, I teach a, uh, I teach two different algebra classes. I think they're like 17 or so kids average. And you've got the kids who like understood the concept three, three words into the lesson. And I'm sure, and it's a remote, it's a remote education scenario. I don't see them. They don't have to have their cameras on. Um, I'm sure they, they, they're just like, when is class over? Because I'm good. And then there's kids who you can explain it 10 times and either they're just extra slow or they're just not paying attention. It's hard to tell the difference in a in remote environment. And somebody on either end of that tail is getting the short end of the stick, right? And that's going to be the same in any group setting. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't ever do that, but I think it, people just need to be aware of of the chosen medium and the challenges with that medium and then find ultimately, you know, you want your students or your junior devs or whoever the audience is. My New Yorker comes out every so often. It just did audience, the audience <laughs> happening lately. You got to be mindful. If your audience walks away feeling like they've gained something, then you succeeded. Even if you haven't maximized the potential outcome for every single person, because you just cannot. 
in right. any kind of a group setting. At least that's my take. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I mean, I think I've had better success with like pair programming or mentoring one-on-one that I have with, hey, let's all go into the boardroom and I'll get on the whiteboard and teach 10 people how to do something. Right. It's it's always a, a more more efficient way to knowledge one on one, I've found. Um although I mean there there's also the benefit of you got ten people in a room learning something, then they can go help each other learn it in different ways. Right. So there's But it I mean, helps if they're in the same room doing it remotely. That, that yeah. makes it exponentially harder, I I would imagine. Right. right. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um so, it, well, go ahead. No, sorry. I, well, I'm getting. I don't know if my performance is is dropping, or maybe oh. it's getting better. Anyway, okay. uh, I'll go on a rant for a little bit about <laughs> computer science education. <laughs> so, my son has taken started taking stuff in like eighth grade, like getting a book on how to start doing Python. And he's worked through that, and then he's worked through multiple books, and he's taken, I think, three different courses in the Florida Virtual School. So we're in Florida. Florida Virtual School is free. Um, so he's done every computer programming opportunity there is. He's doing AP Computer Science now. But every single one seems to always start over again, meaning mm. conditionals, loops, then he goes to the next class, conditionals, loops. Maybe the programming language changes, but it's like on repeat. It's like I, I've been driving. I, I've been a little frustrated as a parent um, from an educational perspective relying on some of this stuff because when you look at math, there's an evolution. You have algebra one. It gets more complicated than algebra two. You have geometry. You have trigonometry. You have calculus. You know at least in the secondary education realm with regard to computer training or programming training, I'm not seeing any evolution at all. That's an interesting call out. Uh, I had not thought about that. I think it's pretty unique, awesomely unique that your son has access to three different courses. I think it's more, goodness, if a school offers AP computer science at all, um, like that might be their only interaction with programming. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm curious, were they, were they kind of introductory programming courses, but just in different languages? One was, I, I think they are, they do cover different languages, but it, it's not that they were, Hey, now that you've mastered this language, move on to this other language, but yeah, I think some of the concepts improve, but the incre incremental improvement or new law knowledge learned other than just slightly different syntax with the language, maybe the variation was like, you know, this, whereas when you're talking math, maybe the ramp is something like that. You know, going from algebra one to calculus, that is a huge difference. Whereas taking, say, the first course with regard to computer programming, and the AP computer science class, mm -hmm. there's nowhere near the level of incremental complexity. I guess I'll say it that way. I wonder if that might have something to do with 
with maybe the fact that math rules are very fixed and understood and have been for a very long time. It's not like the rules of math change very much. But the methodologies and rules for programming are almost constantly in flux. You know, every week there's a new better way to do this thing. Right. And so, well, what they, yeah, well, I mean, what they are repeating is the things that don't change oh. for the most part. Right. This Conditionals, loop. yeah. loops. There's well, because that's the only that. thing that yada, they can yada. plan on teaching that's not going to change. <laughs> that's true. And they need to fill out those weeks. You know, right. they've got, they oh, got to fill out a whole year of material. <laughs> and you've got, I mean, this is not a knock to teachers. It's, uh, but very often, the folks who are teaching computer science in high school couldn't do much more than wherever that course ends, right? Like most of them are not or have not worked in industry in any sense, and they're going back to teach. Some have, but it's more from an academic standpoint. Uh, you know, I took, I had a minor in computer science or I was just a math major and I could pick up enough computer, computer stuff to teach Java, AP computer science and Java or whatever. Um, but they couldn't tell you, like they can teach the, the curriculum, <clears throat> but they couldn't go build something on their own. So there, yeah, I, I think it's a hard problem to solve. You would need somebody able to offer a progression in that context. And I just, I think that would be so rare. It'd be awesome. Uh, I just don't think you're going to have very many teachers able to do that. Yeah. Cause that as fast as that stuff moves, you almost have to have somebody that teaches and works full time in that field to keep up with it, be yeah. able to, to teach what is, what is current other than the very fundamentals. Um, as you said, that Loops don't change. Right. But, you know, if, if I'm going to have three different classes of that, how far can I go with the stuff that doesn't ever change? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm I think that's a tough problem. And, and you're right. It's not it's not because there's something wrong with the teacher. It's just that can't possibly be in both places at the same time and fulfilling both roles at the same time. And if you're a teacher and you're doing all that job and work to to teach kids. You can't be in the sphere of learning all the stuff because I've got a full time job doing it and I still have a hard time keeping up. Right. So that's just that's kind of a hard task. I think it may come down to computer science. Really learning computer science is going to be more on the job past the introductory stuff. You either have to learn it as you go. Or you have to get involved with mentors, senior mentors who know this stuff really well and actually do it for a living um, to, to be able to progress that much more. I'm curious, Creston, uh, solely because I, I, I love to understand how people reach the decisions they reach, just the thought process. Um, with the plethora of things like Udemy, like courses all over the place, why did your son opt for those courses that were available? Maybe SANS AP Computer Science, because you can get credit. Like why do the other two versus finding a course somewhere online that could give him something new, you know, something the next step? Well, I mean, I think we didn't know, and, and this is the decision on the path to take is me and my wife deciding you know, 
and him kind of going along. I don't know how much he was in, involved in that decision process, but we didn't know what what direction he would go, like when he was in eighth grade. So, you know, will he be going to college? You know, that's four years from now. Who knows what's going to be happening? So we kind of went the college path and the Florida virtual school, which is provided for free from Florida for uh, students in Florida. <laughs> right, it's free. <laughs> right. I mean, but but that's not the re necessarily the reason why is that, you know, they give you essentially the same curriculum you would get in the high school. So it kind of replicates, you know, the language arts, all the different maths, the, um, you know, foreign languages. So he's kind of, even though we are homeschooling, it's more that's been, um, like Rail says, JavaScript sprinkles, the actual <laughs> homeschooling from our perspective, me and my wife's has been more of a sprinkling of things, but all the core courses were taken through Florida Virtual School. So yeah. that's kind of, we didn't know what his path will be. And right now his path is that he's currently sitting on again, because things are still subject to change, is he wants to get working as soon as he can and doesn't want to go through to a four-year college, but would probably be okay going to a two-year to get more focused learning with regard to computer science-related things. And so we're looking at some of these two-year associate degrees that they have classes in database management and, you know, some tangential things related to, not tangential, but more than just conditionals and variables <laughs> and loops. Right. So it it covers a little bit of what's in the industry. So that so that's kind of why we didn't know what path he would be going. So we kind of went for the the Florida virtual school path, which would be just a typical for to a to a four year college path, but then adding in some of our own education on top of that. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, I was just curious uh, what what you just said clarified it or not clarified it but answered my question but just super curious if it was an intentional decision to go that way i mean i i've got a senior myself so i'm doing a lot of hindsight looking and i'm like if i knew that this is where we'd have ended up i probably would have did this or that different but you make the best decision you can with the information you have at the time and you're forecasting the future you know and if college is potentially a goal you have to do things in a certain way to maximize that potential outcome. Um, so I feel yeah. you and, on there. And here's the thing that I'm, I mean, I'll reveal Mike, another concern I have with regard to, you know, someone super young who's kind of ready to work. Um, I had a slight hesitation. Would anyone hire him? So would a company hire an 18 now of course there are exceptional 18 year olds that have all done all these projects and things like that nature um he's not at that stage yet in terms of things he's produced independently he's done some things but you know we'll, we'll see but would a business hire an 18 year old to do programming who the in terms of formal education they took an ap computer science class 
Mm. And I was kind of like, hmm, they might be more likely to hire someone with an associate's degree who's taken five to eight classes in the computer science realm. Um, so th that's the other question mark that's been in my mind. So I don't know if you guys have any perspective on that or any thoughts. I think, I mean, because I've hired a number of programmers and I was either looking for, if I'm looking for somebody who's green out of college, what I'm looking for is that they had a curriculum that they stuck with that included a, a good smattering of CS stuff. But what I was really more interested in when hiring junior devs is, did they have something they could show me where they produced something? What did they, did they contribute to most OSS? Did they make this little funzy project that they put up on GitHub and now I can look at their coding or, you know, that kind of, did you do something? So while yes, having, having the education I think is helpful. Um, it's, I was much more interested in what can you do? Well, of course. Yeah. But in absence of something like that, I had struggled to think if someone would hire someone like that. And maybe for an imagine. internship type position, a paid internship. Yeah. Something like that would probably be available. Though I would say that those are probably pretty hard to find. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. Um, so one one other thing that I was that I was hoping that man we're getting low on time, but I really wanted to find find out your your perspective on this. So if you have looking back right on on the teaching and educating you've done. If somebody, if a parent has a child that seems to be showing some interest in development, like I'm, I'm watching mommy or daddy program at the computer and I'm really looking and I'm, you know, and maybe I'm 10, 11, 12 years old, what, what kind of things could you do to kind of foster that and find out if that's really something that they're going to be interested in? That's a great question. Um, I, I'll start by saying, I think there's two ditches that people can fall in one is kids should not be programming at all they don't need to do it until they're you know if they want to do it they can pick it up in college but like no kid should be learning how to program i've heard people say that uh the other is every kid should be uh, yeah i twitter whatever you'll find <laughs> yeah, <it. boy. laughs> um i I didn't need I to learn it. You don't need to learn it either. <laughs> it was actually, for, I forget who, and it, I wouldn't say it if I could remember, but I don't remember yesterday. So I definitely don't remember who, but it, it was from the perspective of, he was a developer and it was more like, I don't want my kids learning how to program at a super young age. I forget the reasoning. Anyway, totally tangential. Um, the other ditch is every student should learn to program. It is the way of the future. If you can't program, you're, it's like you can't write. And I don't agree with either of those. I think every kid can benefit from at least some kind of an introductory course because programming forces you to think in a way that is not, I want to say not normal, but that makes it sound bad in a way that you don't normally have to in, in good ways. It gives you a logical, methodical, systematic way of thinking that can apply if you want a career in this or just in life, how to like think through things. 
So for a 10 or 11 year old who's showing interest, I think Scratch is great. Like you don't have, they, it's fun. I mean, kids need fun, right? Mm -hmm. It teaches them the loops and the conditionals and the, <laughs> and the uh, what was the other one? What a variable is with, from a conceptual basis, you know, you drag and drop, you put things together, they can see the output immediately. And either a kid's going to find it super boring. One of my boys, like I've got four kids and two of them at least are like, I have no interest whatsoever, mom, in any, like, it just doesn't interest me at all. That's fine. But it, it may feed the kid's interest. So now they're 11 or 12 and, you know, depending on their ability to learn on their own, there's Python books for kids. I forget the fellow's name, but there's a few different, um, introductory to programming books aimed at kids for building with actual python now so you get them one of those and see if they can work through it if they can't independently work through not because they don't want to but like just they're just not whatever reading skills aren't super great yet whatever the issue is um maybe it's like mom or dad does it with them and it's kind of you know a pair programming type scenario but I think the kid has to lead with the interest and then you feed that interest. They show an interest in it. You give them a resource that is age appropriate and appropriate for that child. And if they want more, then you find the next thing that works for that child. If they're kind of done, then you let them be done. Like, again, I homeschool. I want to, there's certain things I expect my kids to be able to learn how to do. You're kind of reading, writing, arithmetics, like you need to be able to function. But other than that, let's figure out what your interests are and what your skills are, I'm going to pour everything I can in that direction. And then when you're like, I'm good, we'll find something else. So I, I look at programming very similarly. Yeah. And I think it's, I, my opinion is it's important to expose kids to lots of different things. One of them being programming yeah. so that you can figure out, oh, this, this child is really gravitating towards this and they seem to show some, some aptitude for this thing. And it's not programming like I was hoping they would follow in my footsteps, but they're really good at this thing. Um, but I think programming is an important part of uh, education, at least an exposure to it, because like you said, it teaches you how to think in a particular way that you don't typically think. And one of the things I think it's very similar to music in that aspect. There have been so many studies on how kids who do music do much better in math because it's a different it it trains their brains to think differently about math and music is just math but it's a, a an auditory and visual math and it's a different way of thinking about things and what i've seen is is reports of a lot of kids who are music who practice music right they end up they don't become musicians, but they may, uh, some of them will end up getting a very strong interest in math or a very strong interest in something related to that because they were involved in this music stuff um, and found out that, hey, math is really cool. It can do these kind of things. And I think, I think programming kind of has a similar position in the education uh, curriculum of a child in that it can teach them to be interested in things that aren't necessarily programming, mm -hmm. but are different ways of thinking because of programming. I, I agree with all of that. I think um, 
you kind of made two main points. One is exposing kids to a lot of different things. I'm a big fan of that. Like our well, one of the jobs that a lot of our children will have in the future don't exist now, right? I think that's been said for every generation. Yeah. We have no idea. So how do we best prepare them to be nimble to whatever is out there? And even within the things that exist today, how could they possibly know if they like something or not, if they've never been exposed? And then if so much, so much of creativity isn't coming up with something brand new, it's combining existing things in a new way. So the child who's got a background in math well, I meant music, but math too, music. And like, think about all the different ways they could po possibly combine that to then express themselves in a way that's productive for themselves in society. Uh, they could not have existed apart from that. Um, and then absolutely, I found as I went through my master's degree, it, was, it wasn't until one of my kids pointed it out that I was like, oh, that's so true. I was thinking through something that life related, I forget what. And I was methodically kind of articulating it, probably mumbling to myself. And my daughter was like, mom, you totally picked that up from your degree program because you didn't used to think like that. And now you do. And I'm like, that is so true. Just the breaking down of the problem. And, and so even my old brain, uh, which is way less elastic than kids, was shaped by my computer science education well into my 30s closer to the 40s. Um, so how much more impact can that have on children if they're getting exposure to that kind of thinking earlier? Yeah, exactly. And and it's amazing how insightful kids are. It's almost scary sometimes. <laughs> Man, I know I'm surprised on a daily basis by my kids. Teaching, teaching yeah. a 25-year veteran of programming how to use a computer properly. Uh, so... <laughs> One of my kids is kind of my tech support for certain things. I, I, I've got an iPhone. I can't use half of the things on it because I just don't care to take the time. And he's like, oh, you just do this, mom. And I'm like, thanks, bud. I'll call you next time I'm stuck. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, man. Well, we'll be running up on time here, which, darn it, I, I, could, I could do another four hours of this conversation. But um, unfortunately, you know, life and work and other things. But um, I, I really do appreciate you coming and, and talking with us. I very much enjoyed this conversation and uh, hopefully we can get you back on here sometime um, to talk about some other things. Cause I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, um, this has been great. Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah. I love talking education and tech. So this is, this has been great for me as well. Really enjoyable. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Uh, chat. Hope you enjoyed it too. If you did, please uh, consider a subscribe or a like or a follow if you're on Twitch. Um, those things are all free and it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside when you do it. So, um, you know, win, win, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ducky dev show, um, find us on YouTube, rubber duck dev show. You can come to rubberduckdevshow.com and see all of the podcast versions and you can listen to the podcast versions of these shows everywhere that podcasts live. So whichever your preference is, you go there. Um, so we hope you guys have an enjoyable week. We will be, I will be back on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern with Coding with Chris. We'll do some more Ruby game programming. And then Thursday next week, we have, who do we have? Oh, we've got uh, uh, Lucian Ginda. I think that's right. Uh, 
he will correct me if I'm wrong next week, but he's coming to talk about short Ruby newsletter and the things he's doing there. Uh, so I'm really excited about that too. Um, and I, I'm, I'm so happy that we made the time change here so that we could get people on the other side of the world to come talk to us too. I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, anyway, hope you guys have an enjoyable week and we will see you next week. And until then, happy programming. Happy programming. Happy programming. <laughs>